hello, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> how's how's work? What's happening? Are you super busy again? to do for Monday. Oh. Uh, how are you doing? You alright? I'm good mate. Listen, I've just finished the second draft of Stutter, so I've I've literally just emailed it to you. So um so have a little read in there when you can, when you can fit it yeah. all in and um add another layer of pressure onto that. you. Yeah, yeah. What's this fucking Give it a little read and then when you get a chance, give, give me a shout and we'll, we'll chat about it. We're going to be taking you through the progress of our black comedy feature film. Who are you, by the way? Nobody, oh. nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, they're realistically here. Nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. For now, you're just some pair of videos like everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> So we just go into it. I kind of think we could. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, Mark. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. It's been a bit too long again, hasn't I it? I know. Well, you know, it's uh, it's crazy times. Crazy it really, times. It just genuinely, genuinely is crazy times. But we can't turn these into like quarterly podcasts. That's no, just no, no, no. Bit. We'll speed up. Are you drinking your gin out of a jam jar, you hipster? That's basically all I've got um, clean <laughs> in terms of uh, drinking vessels, yeah. It's partly because I have a mini bar here in the shed, of which is only really for this podcast, because it's not like I'm spending all my time, you know, editing and doing like uh, work and then drinking gin. It's basically yeah. for this podcast. So I've had a perfect couple of glasses worth ready nice. for ages since the last time we did a podcast in, you, in the uh, shed. You, you tell Kate you're working and then in, you go to your shed and it's just a little gin emporium <laughs> you've got there. Uh, yeah, my other half actually <laughs> saw, the, the, saw the tragic bar recently <laughs> and, and, and did sort of say, you know, oh, that bar is a little bit depressing, isn't it? It's just like a, a slither left in a bottle of gin and, and half a bit of tonic. What are you drinking? Well, I'm I'm on I'm doing the gin martini as well. I'm keeping it boom well, keeping it real. But there we go. Boom well. We do a famous glass. Yeah, a famous glass. Um, so tell me about your week because you you were on the phone to me and sending me very kind of in uh, you know uh, interesting sounding messages about some developments on your on your dock. Anything you can tell us yeah. on that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, some stuff I can tell and some stuff I can't. I suppose. So mm. I mean, it might be something that we sort of vaguely mentioned before that you know the challenge of of getting any kind of film off the ground is kind of that first bit of the shot in the arm, you know? So unless you're just assuming that, you know, you're going to make this film, it's going to take forever and ever. There's no real deadline. You'll occasionally shoot it whenever you've got a spare minute, spare time. Yeah. Basically, which is, you know, a lot of, a a lot of us have got projects like that. Haven't we sat there that uh, we never get over the line, but there's always that first initial kind of kick up the backside usually when somebody from the outside world goes oh i like your project that's exciting and we're going to kind of help in some way try and get it made so yeah um like like everybody i kind of have been you know sending out pitches to all uh all sorts of different places for for funding for this for getting in some sort of um 
film festivals or all kinds of different things and um, I punted something just uh, I think it was just before Christmas actually so it might have been just before we met uh, and it was for a film festival and of yeah. course you know my film's not made so it's one of those things where usually you don't pitch your film to a film festival till after it's made but these were specifically um, showing projects in development which I thought was a really interesting, interesting. idea. Yeah, yeah. And um, so as a consequence, I put it out there. And uh, the guy from a, you know, very well-known um, funding, crowdfunding platform got in touch with me and said, listen, we've only got space for one documentary of your type for this festival, but I very, very, very much recommend, hint, 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 you apply mm. for this bigger, better, more, um, more established festival so okay i've got a good clue there so okay. i did so i did apply uh, and this was for the in edit festival which is a barcelona-based music documentary festival apparently the biggest in europe so um quite exciting anyway okay. i found out last week that i've got it and um so i will be showing a work in progress uh up to whatever level i can at in edit in barcelona amazing <clears throat> hopefully in real life because obviously we don't know with covid restrictions mm. but things looking positive and on top of that and in a way this is a really good bonus for us um talking about you know raising money diy on top of that the um it has a a, a mentored link up with kickstarter who as right. we know is a lot of a lot of places that um filmmakers go to try to raise money for films whether they're raising money for development or raising money for actual production or even for finishing or or the like and um, they will basically mentor me through the whole process from start to finish of uh, running a successful campaign plus they will hero the project so it will be on the front cover of kickstarters film of the week to back etc etc that is so beneficial on so many fronts isn't it in terms of just giving you that that shot on the arm and, and the knowledge of how to put the documentary forward but also just on their platform having it promoted in that way yeah i think you know i did you know as you've uh, you're aware that run a, a kickstarter for my little film or for the scheme that we did all those years ago on mm. london London calling with the film London and you know so I've dipped my toes in the whole process but this is obviously another level it's a feature length or getting towards feature length documentary mm. and um, these things can just vanish you know they can just yeah you can put them up there your mates your family a few friends put in a bit of money but if you don't reach your goal then they just vanish because they're mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. you know effectively it's just uh, it's punting it out to your friends and family, but this gives us uh, gives me sort of reach beyond my organic audience, which is pretty good with Facebook and the like, mm. um, and gives the the potential for a for a an, another kind of audience, people who are just interested in films around this this subject to also get that involved. That is fantastic. And how how much do you reckon uh, you, you'll have done for this? Is it September, October? October. So it's actually, actually, yeah, but ironically and interestingly, it tallies up almost exactly with my 50th birthday. Ooh. So it's the end of October. 
2021. So, you know, if ever I was going to do something to get it over the line, now is the time because it'd probably be too old in about uh, <laughs> six months time. I'll just feel the creeping time forward. So, so my plan is, I mean, they basically said, We'd love to see whatever state it's in. That mm. could be just some, you know, some scenes. It could be, um, it could be, you know, uh, say uh, two thirds of the film, or it could be a rough cut, or it could be completed. It's mm. definitely not going to be completed, but I would love to get something approaching a working cut, um, even if there's some grey areas. Or at the very least, perhaps you know my first and second act, or something like that, leaving yeah. them one, leaving them wanting more. It also is a market, which is amazing. So it's basically putting it in the shop window for potential um, market, you know, uh, for for funders, backers, broadcasters, etc., to come on board to help me get it finished. So bloody um, brilliant, mate! That sounds yeah. superb. Um, as is often the case, when one thing happens, something else happens. So I. I won't go into specifics, but then I've had a really good conversation after that with a uh, also music related sales agent and distributor who's who's very excited about the project as well. I had a long conversation with him and I'm going to see if that's something I can, can make work too. Oh, and mate, that, it sounds yeah. like it's kicking off a little, you know, on, on that front. So it's, um, it's 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 nice when things happen. Things got to happen, yeah. they, Mark? Things got to happen. Things have got to happen. Talking okay. about t talking about music docs, I saw, um, have you seen the Beastie Boys story or Beastie Boys story, I think the film is called. Is that on Apple? Apple it's TV? on Apple TV. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely give it, a, definitely check it out. So it's basically, it's a it's a music doc, but in a, it's, it's, I thought you'd kind of be interested because it's done in a really unique way. So it's basically a live performance. Yeah. Yeah, I did the, see it. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so the two kind of ex, uh, currently, you know, surviving Beastie Boys uh, are on stage basically talking you through, in essence, narrating the documentary. Uh, yeah. it's, it's direct, but live on stage. It's directed by Spike Jones. Yeah. So it's really well constructed, got a great story arc and, and, and through line and everything. Uh, and it, they're stood behind this massive, massive screen. So it, in essence, it feels like you're watching a TV or film documentary. So I'll cut yeah. to sequences while they're talking, images will come up behind them. And they've just got this incredible wealth of archive, all that's all, you know, all their videos and all the photography that's been shot. And um, it's just an amazing story, but it's so beautifully put together because it is like it's in a grand old theatre. I want to say it's probably New York, some old it's New gotta York be, theatre it? somewhere. Yeah, it's got to be. Very beautiful looking theatre. And um, it's just a really interesting approach to um, to doing a music doc. It's kind of com completely unique. And obviously those guys are very, you know, fun and comfortable on stage. So they just turn it into this big kind of live event stroke yeah. documentary, which I found kind of really interesting. Yeah, I mean, this this in researching kind of music documentaries, obviously for this project of mine, um, mm. it's interesting. I must have watched, you know, fifty of them over yeah, over the past year, and uh, I have to say they're all the same. I mean, like yeah. let's say ninety five percent of them are the same. They follow the same story arc. They usually have the you know uh, the the same kind of treatment. Everything's kind of a li little bit Polaroidy, you know. Everything's got yeah, a little yeah. bit. Everything looks a little bit like an Instagram filter, scratchy. Um, everything. All, uh, the lead characters always like a bunch of friends. They all meet up. They they get together. They they form a band. Everyone thinks they're shit. 
then they have their first break <laughs> then then they get massive nobody understands how massive they could they they were then they start taking too many drugs then they start descending into chaos one of them probably dies and then uh at the end it's okay because they come back for some sort of reunion concert and you know it's all yeah, as well yeah. it's basically the same story every time and i'm trying to sort of see obviously with my films a little bit more of a cultural history as well as uh, yes but it's so tempting to go down that route of a kind of a you know a tragic heroic journey even for something like a music documentary and i mean yeah so anytime i see things that don't follow that uh technique i'm quite excited you know yeah yeah i know i'm trying to think of ones that maybe you have um i love the um the devil and daniel johnston was a great one. Oh yeah i've rewatched it yeah rewatched yeah. it recently it's amazing yeah. i mean in a way that is that arc because you know let's yeah, face it yeah, he goes yeah. he goes completely bloody mad um yes and then at the end, you know, he does sort of get back on stage. I suppose he does get redeemed in the fact that he's playing to big audiences who suddenly find him right at the end. Yeah. But then there's also the aspect that he just got found on the street by this other band. Yeah. Who, Daniel Johnson. He was like, yeah. And he started playing with this bunch of young kids and yeah, uh, in a garage. In somewhere. his local, in his some weird little local town that he just yeah. happened to live in. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but what I loved about the Beastie Boys one so, so much because it, it, it did, it, in, in some respects, it's funny because what you just said, it does follow along those lines because they were, you know, they started off as this kind of almost joke band in, in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. When, when they started, which was kind of a, uh, you know, because because when they when they formed, it was the start of Def Jam Records. That's who they got signed to, and it was the yeah, start yeah. of that label. And they basically went, uh, "Who's the guy? Uh, Russell Simmons the, and Rick Rubin who put Def Jam together." They basically wanted, like, once they heard about this, because essentially the Beastie Boys were initially like a hardcore band. They, they were like played, a punk band, yeah. They're a punk yeah. band, yeah. And once they started rapping, at first it was kind of for a joke, but then they put a record out. They got played by DJs and stuff. And then Russell Simmons of Def Jam went, I've got like a bunch of rockers who are rapping, white rappers. And he thought, I can get these guys on MTV. And he just saw money signs, basically. So just yeah. all it's worth. And created this kind of, this kind of, uh, the original kind of fight for your right to party, Beastie Boys, that we got yeah. early boys. And, um, but then they kind of, but, but then they kind of got totally ripped off by J Def Jam. They weren't paid and weren't given any money. So they completely did the whole thing of like, right, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to yeah. build our own studio, take the money we're going to get for the album. We're going to build a studio. But what I did like was that they, even down to the music videos, they were like, no, 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 we're doing our own music videos. Like, like one of them, it was uh, yeah. Adam Yao was like, you know, I'll direct the video. So they did everything. They did all their photo shoots, all their music videos. So everything yeah. that really homemade look to it. It was just three mates shooting stuff in their back garden. Because a lot of the time they'd shoot in the place they were living in. Yeah, they, they kind of went to no extremes, lavish extremes with their kind of image or their videos. Yeah. And in a way, it was like the antithesis of what had got what, uh, when they got kind of big, because Obviously, yeah. when they when they got big, they were almost playing cartoon characters of themselves, which was of these sort of frat boy kind of yeah. beer, beer drinking, misogynistic sort of, you know, gross out guys. Yes. And then they kind of had a light bulb moment of like, actually, we're playing characters with we've invented these characters called the Beastie Boys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they were saying on the, the documentary initially, the song was like one of them had another band. 
uh, a hardcore band and they had and they, it was their song yeah and they and they wrote it as a joke to take the piss out of frat boys because they weren't yeah. frat boys but they kind of saw them and thought they were idiots so that the whole joke with the whole song was a piss take yeah uh, and it ended up they be, they became those characters in the in the end So what have you what have you been up to, man? You've been obviously uh, working hard, but working away, been writing. Uh, just uh, one thing I did recently, which I think I messaged you about, was I, I read I read the KLF the manual. Oh yeah, uh, which kind of intrigued me. Amazing. Bill Drummond and Jimmy uh, Cor- Corti, Jim yeah. Corti, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who you've been maybe chatting to about? Well, something. yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, that's a, well, is, that another, some, is that something that's a, you can't talk about? Well, no, no, it's another project. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, how many um, projects can we talk about in one mouthful? <laughs> yeah, so I've been reading that book, which kind of I found so. I mean, I haven't read it until now. I think I'd read snippets of it before, but it's basically the KLF's manual on how to get a number one hit and Which get on top amazing. of the pops. Yeah. I just, I just love the sense of humour that it's written with, uh, right? Because it's, it's down to the minuscule detail, yeah. as in Tuesday morning, nine o'clock, wake up, book the recording studio for the following week, Monday. Yeah. Uh, you know, spend the rest of the afternoon uh, thinking about your costumes for Top of the Pops. <laughs> <laughs> Go around to your mates that night, uh, ask them if they have any ideas for band names. And it was yeah. just, but it's almost like a step by step. I mean, it's dripping with irony. Yeah. And, sen- and, and wit and can this kind of wit, kind of sharp sense of humor. But also in a way kind of like him just going, look, it is, if you really want to be a number one, all you have to do is this, yeah. you know, I mean, if, if you're a musician and you think a lot about your songwriting and, and you like, for example, right at the start, he said, if you're in a band, quit the band because bands don't go to number one. <laughs> and you're like, what? what are you saying? But I absolutely love it. I mean, it's kind of dated as well. Cause it's very, it's very of that time, that kind of yeah. hit, hit factory kind of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but what a book, man. I absolutely loved it. Well, it, it really appeals to the sort of DIY of us, isn't it? Of, you know, they just, yeah. they did it completely outside the system. And um, they did it obviously both by creating, I would imagine you could describe it as kind of genuinely fun, exciting pop records, you know, that were kind of, you know, at the time, you know, of their era. But um, they also did it with a kind of, brilliant up yours to the industry you yeah know? they were kind yeah. of amazing pranksters as well along with it which i absolutely love yeah. just kind of disrupting at every step well, disrupting funny, the industry disrupting the, i mean funnily enough i've been reading this book as well which is uh, also about the klf ah uh, yeah um, yeah and um for those of you who obviously can't see through the uh, internet when we're just a, a podcast <laughs> i'll explain what the book's called uh but it's it's called chaos uh, Magic and the Band Who Burned a Million Quid, um, the KLF, by John Higgs. Mm. And um, it's an absolutely fantastic read. I mean, it's a few years old now. But um, again, it talks about the KLF, but it talks about it about them very much uh, in terms of uh, their, their, their connection to, I suppose, slightly strange, synchronous and weird events. Uh, mm. But also because they had an obsession with... Um, you know the the uh, the books of Robert Anton Wilson and uh, the the Illuminatus stories and yeah. uh, 
So there's a there's a great kind of dive into all of that sort of esoteric, you know, conspiracy uh, piss take kind of uh, uh, writing, and kind of in a way talks about the KLF as as practicing a kind of a chaos magic. A chaos magic meaning a magic that they didn't actually have a specific outcome in mind. No. Uh, so they just did things to, to because they felt right to do them, but they actually didn't know what effect that was likely to have. And, and what John Higgs sort of talks about a lot is, um, you know, that they're often described as pranksters and the like, but that almost implies that they did have a specific outcome. But actually... Yeah. It actually, a lot of the time, it was just like, this is kind of the maddest thing we can do. And it fits this chaotic worldview, which is, you know, the the Discordian, chaotic uh, uh, Illuminatus trilogy kind of joke, um, cosmic trigger, you know. Um, and, uh, and a lot of the things they did, they kind of never knew the reason, including the burn the million quid, which, you know, obviously people think of as a... Um, as a kind of a great sort of stunt, but they really probably didn't know why they were doing it. They just felt that it was the right thing yeah. to do. And then who knows what the result will be. You Which know? is kind of an exciting idea that you kind of are experimenting within a kind of industry that is so, there's a, there's a, there's a scaffold, there's a construct there that people yeah. will operate within. And they were just within that just throwing ideas around and seeing what happened. And I, and I was reading all that, because I'm reading his book 45 at the moment, which is interesting which too. Which is great, yeah. Um, but I, I, I was kind of reading, I'm reading both books with this kind of one eye on how, because a lot of this podcast, we talk about how examples of, of, of people working within music, can those ideas be transposed to, yeah. to film? So I was constantly reading his, his writings, thinking how much of this, ethos or, or or kind of energy could you take and apply it to filmmaking in some way because you, yeah. you're talking there about kind of them not them just almost experimenting with ideas and concepts and not really knowing what the outcome would be one of my favorite stories was him and a mate of his i don't think it was jimmy court you think of some other guy they traveled from helsinki just north up through finland to mm. they wanted to see how they wanted to get to the north pole essentially or see how far they could get and the idea was that they had with them an Elvis statue. And the, the, the whole idea was that they were going to get to the North Pole and place the Elvis statue as close to the North Pole as possible, because then this would probably energize the ley lines and send energy <laughs> coursing through the world. And he wanted to see how that would change the planet uh, off their heads, but brilliantly, brilliantly off their heads. Yeah. I don't know how far they got, but they, they heard all this. But what happened as an offshoot of that, which wasn't the, it wasn't, you know, I don't know how far they got with Elvis, but the actual result of that trip was that they heard all this bonkers music in Finland. Mm. Uh, kind of this kind of hybrid of weird uh, northern, like Russian and Scandinavian rock influence stuff. Mm. Um, which weirdly, when I was I was traveling around um, Finland and Scandinavia with a mate of mine, Chris, years ago, and we took we were in Norway, and we mm. took we took a train. We tried to get to Helsinki the wrong way, basically over the top, which is a bad <laughs> idea because it's so it takes so long. Yeah, and and what and so long, so much so that we were halfway through Lapland and we just like fuck this. Let's we just turned back and went back into Norway because it was <laughs> just tundra, just desolate tundra. Anyway, but they were playing on these kind of trains and buses, loads of weird 
weirdly sounding rock music. And it was mm. funny because it really struck a chord with me when I read his book because he was saying, we heard all this bonkers rock music and it kind of intrigued us so much that we came up with all these band names and mm. singers and rock stars that we gave names to and histories to. And they just entertained <laughs> each other with all this. And then when they got back to England, they looked up who the bands actually were and they were kind of disappointed by them, what they're actually called, yeah. um, the rock stars themselves. So what they did was they just created a whole album uh, in which they put together fake bands and, and re-recorded the music as they remembered it. I did a whole <laughs> album of f imaginary fake Finn rock. Oh. I was just like, that in itself is just... So that was yeah. the result of the trip, essentially. Yeah. Well, it, well it, it's very, very familiar uh, territory, that, because obviously you've been... Uh, the uh, the the Michael Evis of the um, <laughs> the, the made up band made up band this, festival this for the last I, five years or this so. This is why I love that story so much. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, I do run the the made up band name festival yearly. We are now well, this year we will be in our sixth year, which is yeah. incredible. I think we were the only festival to actually. Uh, Go we live were, during lockdown. Because, yeah, we were the only it's... festival running during lockdown, and we've had some crazy, crazy bands and names and stuff. And and I think even some people have attempted to make music for those bands, and so it's all kind of coming to life. But yeah, so that's why that struck a chord with me. I was like, oh my yeah. god, there's someone else doing it too. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema. It also, I think the other thing that the KLF stories can, can teach us, I mean, there are many things, but um, is that uh, Bill Drummond, obviously one of the two, um, he uh, used to work with the theatre director Ken Campbell. Do you know Ken Campbell? No. So Ken Campbell, no. uh, he was quite famous in the sort of 70s and 80s, so big bushy eyes, uh, eyebrows, okay. and, and uh, used to do sort of one-man shows. And... He interestingly um, did the uh, longest ever theatre performance, uh, as mm -hmm. in the show that went on the longest. And it was a retelling of the, and this was in the mid 70s, a retelling of the Illuminatus trilogy with one person in it. And um, it went on for something like 18 hours a day or something like that. It was okay, kind yeah. of extraordinary. And. Um, what Bill Drummond always said, and I think it's in the book 45, he's mentioned it. He always said that, Kel, that Ken Campbell taught him that actually nothing's impossible uh, mm. because what you have to do is you just have to go and do it. So wh whereas uh, most people see a problem and they go, oh, I've got to do, I've got this and you've got that problem and you know money and blah, blah, blah. Ken Campbell's thing was, no, no, no. If you see something that's enormously challenging, then you just go and do it because then it's not challenging anymore. You just have to yeah. just go and do it. And so Bill Drummond actually took this philosophy very much to heart and came a lot of the um, part of the philosophy of the, the, the KLF. And I think it resonates a great deal with our DIY. Uh, it does. Answer. I love the idea. Well, we were talking on the phone the other night, weren't we, about... You know, I was telling you, I was at that uh, Brit Awards 92 when the KLF oh. fired the machine gun into the... Yeah. Audience. I love this. And, and it was because when I was reading the book, I was like, yeah. And I, for some reason, I'd, I'd never Googled that event. I'd never looked for any video evidence of it. But I, I was yeah. actually, I was there for, uh, for the, because I used to go to the, the Brit school in my 
my jazz hands, uh, you know, performance. <laughs> Were you the first days. ever year of the Brit? I was the, that's how old I am. I was the very first ever intake, and I was studying back, filmmaking and media and stuff there. Back in the Victorian times. Back in the back in the black and white days, and <laughs> so they they decided to let KLF open. Um, yeah. e- even though, because I was reading a bit of an, a, a clip from your book, actually, and a section from your book where they were yeah. saying that they let them do it, even though the previous year they had been offered it. And once they yeah. told them what they wanted to do, the producers were like, absolutely no way you can open this show. Because yeah. it was it was about... Uh, they were going to kill a sheep or something, ki- right? Yeah, kill an animal on stage and then throw chunks of it into the audience. And- yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the next year they went, "Oh, go on, just do what you want." So they, so they came, they came on, and and the, and they did one of their tunes in this kind of noise, this kind of noise terror band came on and did a version of their tune. Yeah, yeah, extreme noise terror. I think there was sort of vegan death metal, speed yeah. metal band who did a version of Three AM Eternal. Yeah, or whatever. and I remember, I remember when it when when I was in the audience, like it was so confusing, and there was just smoke and kind of lights everywhere and you could you couldn't make out what the tune was and then he at the end of it he fires he picks up this old antique machine gun and just fires it into the old blanks into the audience yeah which was his comment on because i guess the the brit awards was essentially a kind of um an industry event yeah. an industry showcase so it was him just firing these blanks into the into the record industry as he saw it but the night it was so loud in the actual um auditorium that i thought in my memory of that night was that he climbed into this big anti old kind of old uh, anti-aircraft gun and then fired this thing at it because the noise was so intense in that kind of <laughs> held within that space it was just echoing a ricocheting and it was so confusing and i thought he was behind this massive gun but it wasn't until i looked at the video on google the other day yeah that, no he is actually just holding like a handheld machine a handgun. Gun. yeah 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 and- and then, and then after that, uh, after meeting you in sort of uh, in the audience, they left the music industry, of course. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. But yeah, yeah that was a, that was a weird night. been doing a bit of writing as well you sort of sent me uh, a draft of a script which uh, yeah I sent you the draft of that of uh, of the scripts I don't know we should say probably after after our Christmassy episode mm. uh, we we um, me and you had a little another little can as we walked home and and we kind of just talked about ideas and dreams yeah <laughs> <laughs> like two two old ghosts from from the yeah. graveyard had kind of suddenly kind of come back to to life for one last time yeah and and i guess you know because i guess on our minds was the fact that you know this whole podcast had been about trying to get a film off the ground and you know we'd thought that maybe a a kind of push we could maybe you know our back of the fag packet you know pub budget that we did yeah we were looking at maybe about 40 grand to shoot you know routine and and then, and then, you know, obviously COVID hits and, and even organizing the smallest of shoots becomes problematic. And then, so we just, then we were saying, right, what if we adapted an old script that was something that we could shoot right now? Yeah. Very accessible. And then I was saying to you, you know, I'm, I could scratch together whatever money I, I had. Why don't we almost do a film that's kind of a stunt that mm. is like for 
an amount of money that isn't enough money to make a feature film. Let's yeah. just literally double down on our DIY ethos and say, instead of looking for that 40 grand, why don't we gather together what we've got and yeah. use all our DIY resources and all the things we're talking about and put our money where our mouth is and make a feature for that amount. And, mm. and I think you kind of liked the idea and said, well, I could stick in a couple of quid too. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what, that's where we're going with maybe possibly um, this script stutter. Mm. Um, so that's the one I sent to you, which you were, you kind of gave brilliant, brilliant feedback on. Um, so I've just been kind of rewriting that now in terms yeah. of on the, on the back of your notes. Sort of dialing back a little bit. I mm. think the idea of, well, rather than the normal way around, which is here's the film I want to make. Now, how much is that going to cost? Yeah. We thought that actually we we do potentially have the chance, you know, by by hook or by crook to go, here's a chunk of money. It's uh, as close to five figures as we can possibly get, but it's yeah. it's not quite five figures. It's just under or it's just about five figures. Yeah. And... And then can we make a, f a film, a feature film for that budget between us? Yeah. Um, and I think um, that's sort of quite an exciting idea that, you know, don't even, not even thinking about what film you want to make right now. Let's make a film for that budget. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, as a, as a project, I think it's a great idea. And then this script has got loads of potential for that because in a way it's not, huge exotic locations apart apart from the kind of horse on the desert thing which we'll, we'll have to have a chat about galloping horse down a beach yeah sure okay i'll get you we'll have a chat about that but apart from that it's very it's quite domestic locations and it's very much inside someone's head yes it is and i think i mean one of the things i was for your feedback was great because you, you did bring up the, the fact that the, the characters needed a lot of work. Because I think what I was doing was I was focusing, focusing so much on the structure yeah, in terms of uh, the structure of something that we could feasibly do with no money or low, low budget within a short space of time and something that had a kind of cyclical kind of looping aspect yeah. to it. So it meant that things that we could shoot, we could repeat and... Uh, and so that's the kind of the way we kind of maybe we could be quite transparent in, with, with our budget for the podcast. You think? Well, have, have I not spelt it out fairly well there? I've said basically yeah. four figures as close to the five figures as you can get, or just into five figures. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's important. I think it's important to say we could say we're around the ten grand mark. Yeah, ten which grand, is, which is what we've got. What we've got to play with, which for people who. People who have filmmaking experience will be will be now laughing their heads off yeah. because they realise that is no kind of money to make a feature film for. For people who don't have any real experience with filmmaking, that's kind of like a nice budget if you're making a short film. Yes, yeah, that's that's a pretty okay, you know, for a couple of days, three days shoot maybe yeah. at a weekend. Lots of people doing a few favours, but you know, and then a bit of money for post. Yeah, that that's, yeah. That, that's the kind of so how you know the the idea is how do we stretch that cleverly over yeah. potentially a two week shoot at the very least to make something substantial enough for a for a dramatic feature film yeah i mean it's a real it's a real stunt really because i remember when we started this podcast i was thinking 
when I was first thinking about routine, I was like, maybe we could shoot it for 20. And that was being me thinking the lowest possible we could go. Yeah. And then when we did the kind of rough budget, you were like, it's looking like 45. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, that's way more than I, I was hoping for. Yeah. But now here we are, you know, a bit further down the line and it's way beyond half of that, that we yeah. might have to play with. So there, yeah, yeah. there we go. I mean, but you know, um, I think if we can structure it right and we can breathe, I can breathe more life back into those characters and get them, get all the, uh, one thing I will say is I think if you, if you're writing stuff, it is a really, really good idea to find, like, I'm very lucky to have you Aaron, but a friend who will review your writing and give you very honest feedback uh, about what you need to do. Cause if, if I didn't have that, I might be using my own money and, and going ahead and, and organizing shoots on a script that isn't actually very successful at the moment. Whereas Aaron basically said that there was lots of problems with certain characters in, in the, in the script and, and when, and, and also it's a good idea to know what pe- how to interpret that feedback. Like yeah. when, when Aaron says there's problems with the characters and there's certain characters you don't care too much about to, at the end of the film, you know, that all comes down to the value, the values that are at play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they weren't defined enough. And and I, I actually went back and did a bit of a review. And um, there's a brilliant, brilliant video or a couple of videos actually um, by a screenwriter called Michael Arndt. I'll I will put his I'll put links to them on our Facebook page. Mm, but he, yeah, he's, ba- he's basically this screenwriter. He worked at Pixar for a couple of years. He left there and then he wrote uh, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And oh, he's yeah. written like, but he, I mean his videos are very. I mean, he does say, look, this, there's not only one way to make films, but this is the convention. And he gives a very conventional structured uh, outline to, it's almost like a good toolkit. Mm -hmm. He he also he also says, don't start writing a script with this. If you've got a script and there's something not working, then look at these videos. So, but he does a brilliant video all about, he does one very specific one about endings and then he does one about beginnings and then he does one about the general structure and they are absolutely brilliant. So I basically went back and had a, had a review of those and applied Mm. them to the, a new script. So I think what we've got now is something that's working a lot better in terms of character. um, And then pinning that on this kind of structure that I think I had right in the, in the version that you read, that kind of, kind of looping structure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the it was one of those things where you know I'm I'm all for a high concept. I think you know generally my mm. taste in films is generally high concept. So in a way, I have to wrestle myself to think about those things, which you know that slightly uh, dismissive sort of twenty-something version of myself who was like, yeah, fuck that. Who cares about character? Who cares about all those normal yeah. things? But it's interesting when you read somebody else's work, you think oh, there's something uh, brilliant here and then there's something missing. And that, and that, and it, it may well be that it's not the usual thing that you would be um, wanting uh, in your taste, but you realise, ah, that, that really needs that. And it, yeah. I think particularly yours was, it was to do with, with character because, you know, you're investing 90 minutes into watching something and you've either got to be taken along uh with that person I, and I don't believe the idea that you have to like the, the lead character at all because otherwise how do you make a film like you know Downfall about Adolf Hitler where well, you don't mm. but you've got to at least feel their experience and uh, whether that's a negative or a positive um, 
and yeah, I felt like the, the lead character was a little bit empty. She was a little bit passive. There wasn't yeah. really, there wasn't really um, any sense of you know why her predicament had, had occurred to her and why we uh, get any sense of sort of where it can go. So, but the concept is really solid, and I think you know we can go into it maybe at other times. And I think the concept is um, is really exciting and can kind of give a lot of life to a lot of interesting themes yeah know, it's kind of contemporary it's, life yeah it's kind of about i mean in a way it's it's a lot to do with how we live our lives now with our technology and yeah. then kind of mirroring that with the idea of hypnosis or hypnotherapy or mind control even and it just opens up possibilities to lots of visuals so something that can feel and that's another way of thinking about a very low budget film how to make it cinematic and visual instead of people yeah. talking in a room yeah. um so yeah ten thousand ten thousand pounds to make a feature film i mean ten. how do people do that i don't know yeah. but i think we're probably about to find out I started working in uh, in uh, at the BBC. I was working in the sports department. Yeah, and there as a, fo you... as a footballer. No, no, I, I was doing <laughs> the t graphics for Match of the Day and all that kind of business. Yeah. And then every now and again, you got the peachy job of doing the title sequence. Yeah, uh, and so I got to do my first one, which was it wasn't it wasn't a very glamour job. It was uh, international indoor bowls, which isn't very sexy. Well, you know, indoor um, bowls could but, be a double entendre, but, you know. But the second one was a match of the day one, which was wicked. So we went and did a shoot. Both of those shoots were like shot on film. So we'd shoot on yeah. 60 mil film and stuff. But it was, um, I'm, I do remember the budget for the match of the day one, and it was a small one for match of the day, was 25 grand yeah. for 20 seconds. Yeah. And uh, here we are many years later, my career's developed and gone further down the line by about 20 years and i've got to make an hour and a half for 10 grand yeah well i mean i i the irony is not left on me either because i'm about to spend you know many months on a kickstarter campaign probably you know not not going to be breaking the match of the day budget either you know i would imagine yeah you know fingers crossed but yeah i mean you know um but let's not use Let's not use that as a as an excuse. We have to use this as a creative obstruction. And like Ken Campbell says, hundred percent, you just got to go and do it. That's what you got to do. I love I love that idea of just just doing it because I, I do. You do get fearful and you do go, oh, we don't have enough of this, or we don't have enough time, or we don't have this and that. And it is just look, you just go ahead and make it. And whatever the circumstances are, how whatever yeah. the, whatever the the thing that comes together, that's the film. Yeah. And it will be a document of that time and, and your making of it. I just mentioned there about me doing my first title sequence for the BBC, Indoor Bowls yeah. on the BBC, which was an incredible... I mean, if anyone's ever watched Bowls on TV, it is yeah. hilarious because you Still, go... Yeah. 
it's um that they keep cutting away to the audience and it's and in the audience there's no one except for sleeping geriatrics and i think i think they just wheel them in from care homes just for something to do Uh, and so basically we i came up this idea and i came up this really kind of sexy graphic uh intro sequence and we basically got uh, this guy to be the actor in it who who I was told was the David Beckham of indoor bowls. So we had him. Oh, I love it. Uh, we had him. Uh, so I was working with the stars and we, sh- we shot at, at Black Island Studios in West London, which are these yeah. m- massive uh, kind of film studios. They shoot kind of car ads and shit like that there. And we had this huge, huge studio and they rebuilt like a bowls thing and it was all lit from st- on strip lights from above. and. Mm. And I was like, I was so super excited. And I don't know if you ever had these moments, you must have had a couple of these moments in your life, Aaron, where you kind of meet somebody from your past who was a, was a dick or a bitch to you in the past, but you, and then you meet them and you're, you're doing something quite cool. Yeah, yeah. My first job out of uni was I was, I, I was a runner for a, a commercials company. And there was this woman who, who ran the place. Who was a, who was a, not a nice lady. I'm going to be as diplomatic as possible because anyone's yeah. listening. And she was called and she was a bit mean and she used to shout at me and not be very nice to me you've doxed anyway, her you've actually told everyone what her actual name oh, was i love it, it fuck it i might bleep <laughs> it out but fuck her she was a bitch <laughs> um, anyway so um and so weirdly enough uh i i'm a black island studio setting up for this uh shoe i walk out this corridor and i'm walking down the corridor and walking past me is from my oh. old job years and years ago. Go on, tell me she's cleaning the loos or something. Uh, no, 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 no. Well, she was actually doing something. She was doing something pretty cool. She was with Bill Nye. Oh, wow. And she was walking along with Bill Nye and they were doing this. Do you remember in Love, actually, uh, Bill Nye's character's like an old rocker and then he is like releases some Christmas song or something and it, it's, it's yeah. a part of the film. They were, they were filming a real video for the song because I think they released it that Christmas. And I was like, oh my God, it's and then later on in the canteen, sure enough, they were all there, Bill Nye getting his jacket potato. And I was like, this is my moment to say to Yeah. Fuck you, I'm directing something in the next studio. Are you in that studio? Are you in studio two? Oh, I'm in studio yeah. one. I'm directing the shoot next yeah. door. I'm in studio but one, which is always I, the bigger one. Yeah. But I couldn't because it was indoor bowls. And I was like, <laughs> I can't, why couldn't it be something sexy for fuck's sake? So I just left it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, no, it was funny. It was just one of those kind of redemption moments you kind of wish for in your life. But when they actually happen in real life, they're never perfect. There's always some kind no. of imperfection to them. But hey. Yes. Well, I'll never forget the story because I think it was a very different world in the sort of 90s and noughties, the sort of advertising, you know, film industry where the the hierarchical uh, system that, that we, we kind of remember a bit of at the tail end of the 90s and the, mm. the noughties. And I, I'll never forget the uh, a friend of mine who uh, got his first sort of job as a runner working on a uh, film shoot and... Um, lots of advertising execs sitting around doing nothing you know the usual thing runners running around the dop sort of you know getting paid extraordinary amounts of money the director mm. nowhere to be seen but loads of producers or advertising people 
sat around, you know, eating all the food. And um, uh, this producer guy calls over to my mate, who's a runner, says, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, and um, he, so my mate goes over there and says, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. What, you know, what do you need? And the guy says, cut my sandwich. Oh, my God. And he goes, what? And he says, cut my sandwich. Cut my sandwich. Yeah, cut my sandwich. Not even a please. Oh. And so, so my mate fantastically got a knife and got the sandwich and went cut it yourself you cunt <laughs> <laughs> oh beautiful it's needless to say he didn't last long as a runner in advertising but at least he had that moment in the moment of oh. you know fuck you um but it does show that well you know that was what the world was sort of like back then and <laughs> Although we may complain that budgets aren't what they used to be, you know, for 20 seconds, you don't get 25 grand anymore. At the mm. very least, you don't have shit bags like that sort of uh, asking you to cut their sandwich. I, I think that definitely the amount of money that was flying around then did breed dickheads and it yeah. did it did fuel those kind of pricks who were kind of behave like that 100 percent yeah well, i've always thought uh, i need a t-shirt that just says cut cut your sandwich yourself you cunt <laughs> what did he do with the knife did he point it point it at him or just he gave, hold it he gave, him, it to he him. gave him the knife and gave him the sandwich yeah <laughs> I love that. I love that story. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. It is a beautiful thing. You are listening to DIY Simulcult. It's amazing as well that with the benefit of time, how different you feel about something when you just give something a week, two weeks, a month even. Yeah. And you come back and look at it and go, go oh, I really had run out of thinking here but now i see this completely in a fresh way you know yeah even i went back and looked re uh, reread routine recently and uh, again just because I, because of the fact i'd gone back and reviewed these michael Arndt videos about structure uh, and and so i had all had all the kind of scripts in my head as i was reviewing those things mm. and just going back to routine there's loads of stuff i love there but what's very clear is that what Don, the main character, what he wants and needs and what his values are aren't as clear as they could be from the start of the film. So it's just there needs to be some adjusting there as well. Yeah. Uh, because they need to be very, very clear. You need to know exactly what he wants, what he's trying to get uh, in order for the, 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 the rest of the film and the ending to make sense and to have impact. Yeah. But you're always sort of toying with the, with the, the feeling of like, well, you don't want to give too much away uh and you and in in a way the good thing about don is that there is a certain ambiguity in terms of the ending as in you know you're not quite sure well actually throughout you're not quite mm. sure how much he's in control and how much he isn't in control and then you yeah you come to realize you know a specific way but um but at the same time people have got to be invested in that journey yeah and i think a lot of that comes through it's particularly when really something is really driven by a a lead character mm. you've got to be invested in that journey with them whether you like them or not or whether they're a, in some ways a mystery or not you've got to kind of feel like i get why they are i get that they want something and you know i could see the the position that the world that they're in is putting them in and this is mm. a this is a, a journey i'm willing to watch and get invested in yeah 
Well, I'm very lucky to have you, mate, to send my scripts to. Oh, you old sweetie. You're very welcome. <laughs> well, I'm going to be boring you with endless rough cuts of an extremely long music documentary fairly oh, soon. Oh, well, yeah. Well, listen, I, any way I can help out with a bit of graphics and a bit of how's your father anywhere, then well, give us a shout. So how should we round it up? How should we round it up? With a little song, song and dance? Give little... me sunshine. Oh, I'll tell you what I've got to show you. Know. you. So, so this, is, this is a consequence of... Um, spending so long in this studio that I'm trying to trying to make my life a little bit better in the studio so um you know doing a lot of sitting down a lot of back ache a lot of neck ache staring at a screen doing podcast records you know staring if, you, if you're going to show me you've painted your nails uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna nothing, hang up nothing quite as glamorous as that but actually what i'm gonna show you is this here we go Whoa, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> For people who are listening, Aaron's camera seems to be rising up and down as if on a crane of some kind. <laughs> I got wow. myself an extendable table base. So now oh. I can stand up and work. So I'm standing up now. Oh, you're. Oh, that's good. So I can stand I up do, and work. I do there like the look of those stand up tables. Yeah. 200 quid for the base good put for it your on, back isn't it from, from my back put it on my existing table and there you go so i <gasps> i can now pretend i'm walter Murch standing at his edit <laughs> desk um oh mate oh well, lovely to chat let's do another yeah. episode in not such a long time next yeah. time episode 20 episode 20 fantastic okay yeah. Good stuff. Well, a mini celebration to be had there. And um, should we do we... like a twentieth birthday episode? Maybe we do like a yeah, little special. Like it, twentieth birthday, and maybe um, uh, uh, we will have a new draft of a script to read before yeah. then. Maybe. Yeah, I think hopefully we will, so we can chat about that for sure. Wicked. All right, mate. All right, well, Mister. See you later. See you later, Aaron. See you later, listeners. Night, night, listeners. Love you. Love you too, Marky. <laughs> on twitter at diy cinema cult or on instagram we are diy underscore cinema underscore cult seek out the diy cinema cult group on facebook or why not email us at diy cinema cult at gmail.com Bye.